The Down Below podcast was our last best hope to analyze. We failed. But in the year of the spoiler war, it became something greater. Our last best hope for answers. The year is 2015. The show, Down Below. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. Hi, man. I'm Heidi. Uh, Elizabeth's not joining us right now. Maybe she'll jump in a little bit later, but we are very pleased to be joined once again by the Babylon worker. Say hello to Yan. Hey, Yan. Hey, good to have you back, Yan. And good, and good to be back, uh, as always. Yeah. One of our regulars now. Hmm, sort of. <laughs> so I'm not sure. This wasn't your original episode, but uh, you. I think you switched this one. I switched this one with, uh, yeah. Derek. <laughs> Derek. <laughs> <laughs> it, it went out. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, man, seems like it's been forever since we've done this. I know. <laughs> Uh, today we are here to discuss episode three of season three, A Day in the Strife. But first, here's an ISN special report. We now bring you an ISN special report. A new ambassador arrived on Babylon 5 this week from Narnia. Nafar is the new ambassador from Narn. And was sent to take former Ambassador Jakar home. Captain Sheridan and Commander Ivanova have dealt with the aftermath of the bombings on Babylon 5 in a series of highly charged meetings. Reports are coming out of Medbay that tensions are running high due to budget cuts and worker shortages. Vir Cotto, assistant to Ambassador Londo, has been promoted and left the station for Minbar. That's all for this week's ISN Special Report. Hello, I'm Robin, and I host the iZombie podcast with my friends Ashley and Steph. Hi! iZombie is a new show on The CW, all about a zombie that solves crimes using clues given to her by the brains she eats. Brains? This show is fun to talk about not only because of the funny premise, but because its showrunner is Rob Thomas, who you may remember from Veronica Mars and Party Down. You think that we could get him on the podcast? We could pick his brain? Well, I don't know, but that would be cool. And then, if we pick it, then I... Eat it. Ashley, are you a zombie? Maybe. Awesome. Yeah, we are too. You're going to have to share that brain. Check out the iZombie podcast brought to you by the DVM Podcast Empire. Find us at dvmpe.com and iZombiePodcast.com. Kicking ass and taking brains. Yum. A Day in the Strife originally aired November 20th, 1995. Close to the end of the year calendar year that year but it was directed by david j eagle who last directed in the shadow of zaha dune and it was written by jms 
Surprise. 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 <laughs> the surprise will be when we get the, what, like one that's left that's not? That's not. Yeah. And that'll be, oof. Mm, late. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking in our time, that could be like a year from now, something like that, maybe. <laughs> just, just over a year. We'll be watching out for it. Yeah. Okay, let's get started with the recap. The episode begins with the transport waiting to get on the station. Sheridan and Ivanova are meeting with the transport association. They're trying to work out some issues. Yeah. Reminds you of season one in a way, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. I was thinking that uh, I was thinking that Sheridan was pulling a Sinclair. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Yeah, I saw that blooper that uh, Anka posted where. Sheridan called himself Sinclair. <laughs> actor. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, he can't even keep track of his own character name. <laughs> he was yeah. he was really pulling a Sinclair. Yeah. So the transport people they think Sheridan wants to control all the weapons so that you know, he can intimidate them and the leader yeah. guy. Um, well, before we actually get to this bit with the leader, at least there's repercussions from last week's events, you know, they're putting these yeah. restrictions in because of the bombing. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I also felt like this was pretty good continuity because Ivanova's having to deal with diplomatic issues still. Oh, yeah. 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 In season one, she wouldn't be in on this um, whole thing at all. Mm-hmm. So this guy, he's listed as troublemaker. And he <laughs> he wants Sheridan to come down and face him, which he does. The troublemaker was in the Buffy episode Superstar. He played Colonel George Haviland. He's a troublemaker there, too. Yeah. But the troublemaker ends up backing down. I was just talking when after Sheridan comes to confront him. And after they adjourn... Ivanova says that Sheridan was stupid, but we find out that Sheridan took the energy cap out of the gun before he gave it to the guy when he went down the face. He's, he's not that stupid, is he? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, and this whole episode really continues that theme of Sheridan just frustrating Ivanova no end, causing all sorts of trouble. Oh, yeah. Next, to Narn arrive on the station, Nafar and Talan... Nafar has come to replace Citizen Jakar. Nafar was played by Stephen Mock. He was, I saw that he was a, seems like he was a regular on General Hospital for a while. He was in the Castle episode, Nikki Heat. Ah. And he was in a Millennium episode. Talon was played by Marshall T. We've seen him play other uh, well, aliens he, he, before. He is the same nun that was captured with Sheridan. Right. And Marshall Teague actually follows us on Twitter. <laughs> yes, he does. He follows me. Well, he, we'll have to make sure we... Um, yes. How that we're discussing his role in this week's episode. I will uh, certainly see to that in on my, on my feed. We, um, I saw he favorited Anka's picture that I tweeted with Jakar as Aslan. <laughs> <laughs> And we get the opening credits. Wonder if he listens. <laughs> I know that another B5 actor follows us. I'll mention him or her later. Okay. <laughs> um, 
after the credits, Nefar explains how the Centauri set up their own government and they think Jakar is setting up an armed resistance, which he kind of is, isn't he? You would say um, that. <laughs> yeah, what's your impression of Nefar then, Holiday? Um, he would get along very well with Londo because they're both power-seeking little annoyances. <laughs> really? I you got in the scene with London later on. Yes. I kind of saw the far more as someone who's stuck in a position. He thought he was doing the right thing, but the more it goes along, he's realising he's just trapped and he's trying to do the right thing, but all yeah. his decisions are going wrong. I don't yep. know. I kind of saw it more as he was hiding behind trying to do the right thing. Like, I didn't feel like he was sincere when he was saying, well, we have to do this in order to do that. I kind of felt like there was some, like, he didn't want to be on the bottom. And so he's going to take this role. No, but on the other hand, when he was talking to uh, to Lando, you could see how he was uh, indicating his disgust. Yeah. Yeah, yes. he was kind of biting back um, a rage almost that we've seen from a lot of nards. Right, and I don't think that he's happy about the Centauri, but I felt like he was, rather than being, um, let's say, powerless uh, to them, he was taking on this role of, okay, well, I could at least have a power position in the situation that we're in. Taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nefar wants... And Nefar wants the Centauri gone, but they're... Wait a minute. Oh, the penalties are harsh. And he... Yeah, he says that the time for action will be later, and he wants Sheridan and them to help them return Jakar, but Sheridan doesn't want to interfere in normal Narn affairs. Internal Narn affairs. Next, we go to the Earhart, which I don't think we've seen in a while, have we? No, I don't think so. Garibaldi's telling a tired Dr. Franklin a story. Yeah. Tries to get Steven to ask this lady to dance. <laughs> and the lady he's asked to dance is played by his real-life wife, and now his widow, Lori. Aw. <clears throat> Susan arrives. She noticed how tired Dr. Franklin is. He says he's been working a lot, and... He notices, they all notice how much of a hard-ass Sheridan is. He's just not trying, he's not trying to just fit in anymore. So, Franklin gets, I'm sorry. Yeah, true. (laughs) They're actually pointing out how Sheridan's actually changing to, you know, they, I'm sure they know the audience has noticed and they're trying to actually say to the audience, yeah, this isn't the same guy you saw last year. You know, certainly, you... certainly not the smiling, happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I know we mentioned no, it. Speech but... maker. <laughs> he does drink some orange juice later, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't change that never... much. Yeah. There have to be some constants, doesn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Franklin gets a call. He has to do more work, more work, and he heads off to the bathroom and while this, while he's gone, Garibaldi tells Ivanova that he looked through Sheridan's personnel file when he came on. He thinks Sheridan's the right guy to lead them. 
and she leaves. Franklin comes back. He's more energized. Oh, oh. He's gonna ask that lady to dance. Yeah. The the uh, the face of uh, of Ivanova when he when he, she asks him whether he had looked into her files. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. But also, I mean, on a slightly more serious point, we do know um, he saw her make the call to her father. Yes. So yes, you know, there's actually more to it there. There's an understanding between the two. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when Franklin goes off to ask her to dance, Garibaldi's like, hmm, see something. Set off his Garibaldi suits. I'm I'm sure it will come as no surprise to you that I hate this storyline. Yeah. (laughs) Is it just because you've seen so many um, addiction stories out of the years? Well, first of all, it uh, comes from uh, I don't like Dr. Franklin most of the time. And so having it be his story in the first place uh, <laughs> annoys me. Um, but yeah, it, you know, you've seen it forever. And we've um, we've predicted that that's where it was going. And I didn't want it to go there because I knew I wouldn't yeah. like it. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are. Yep. We knew it was coming. So, and it's not over. Yeah. <laughs> After that, Nafar is speaking with Londo and Beer. Londo wants to visit Nar because he didn't get a good look at it when they were bombing the hell out of it. <laughs> He's being kind of a jerk. <laughs> this episode's full of people reacting to Londo. I mean, I'll bring it later with Janem, but Beer in this, but he's just indignant you know, throughout it. Just, I can't believe you're saying these things, Londo. Yeah. I just... His face, his face is so so telling. Yeah, he wants to know if Reese. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, he wants to know if it would be safe for him. Nafar insists everything is going to be fine. Uh, he Nafar leaves. Beer wonders if that was all necessary. What Mondo says, as long as they have their pride, they'll be a threat. He doesn't want the Centauri to have to go through this again in a hundred years. Yeah, after last week's episode, you right back down again with Londo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In the next scene, Clarence is so cute in the next scene. Yeah, Clarence! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets kind of a pizza roll in this um, story, doesn't he? Oh, he does. He's been monitoring something that's approaching B5 and... It's not something they've never seen before, so it's a first contact situation. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I like them using uh, Clarence Corwin in this because it so easily could have been a Sheridan Ivanova scene, this, for example, and later on it could have been an Ivanova Sheridan scene. But, you know, they're, they're including him as an important part of the CNC crew. He, yes. He's, yeah. His role is increasing, not just in, you know, the cast, but in on the station as well. He's taking on more responsibility. As I think, because Susan is doing more diplomatic stuff, someone else needs to take on some of her roles. So it's it's a really nice balance. Everybody moving up, yeah. yeah. I didn't hear it because I wasn't listening for it. I thought it happened later in the season, but I read that this episode was the first time his name is spoken out loud. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, so wait. Him. If not, then I. Yeah, that's no. Like, no. <laughs> we so. see his name um, when he's interviewed. It's actually on screen. Okay. But this is yeah. the first time ah. anyone actually says his name. Okay. Um, a says Corwin, and then something about getting her information. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, well, how did we know his name then? <laughs> I forgot how we actually. Yeah, the, yeah, there's the episode it, where they do 48 hours of Babylon 5, right. and he's one of the ones they interview. We, yes. he, he, his name's there as David Corwin, but you know how I say get things wrong sometimes. We all know it's actually Clarence Corwin. Yeah. David's his middle name. Now, the alien vessel comes to a stop. They figure it's some kind of science probe. Uh, they're getting a signal, which is just the same pattern of signals over and over again. It'll take a few hours for them to figure out what it means. Uh, when I see that one, it does remind me of the uh, the ship that the Soul Hunters came into. Okay, I don't really remember. Mm. I was thinking more, it has kind of hints of Volon design, but also hints of it, uh, shadow design as well. Uh, hints of organi- was, organic design, I would say. So. Yeah. Yeah, it seems very organic. Next, Lando's speaking to Delenn. He's trying to act like they're still friends, but she's a little cold towards him. He wants to collect on that favor that she owes him from when he drove her and draw down to Epsilon 3 yeah. in Season 1. Yeah, this... This is a scene I was talking about earlier. You you watch Mirafellan in this, and she's not just waiting for a line. She's acting as the leg, considering Londo's words carefully, li- yes. listening to what he's got to say, and almost thinking in character. You can see the leg thinking about what he's saying, not just Mirafellan. And I think that's a brilliant bit of acting that you can tell almost what Delenn's thinking just by looking at her. Yeah, I agree. And we don't often, sorry, we don't often get uh, Londo and Delenn scene, so it's really nice. <laughs> yes, it is. Londo wants Veer to be the diplomatic envoy to Minbar. Eventually she does get the truth about why out of him. He's fond of Veer, thinks Veer would be better off away from there, away from him. Delin says that maybe Lando needs beer, but Lando says he doesn't need anybody. Beer would just get in the way. Yeah, he's sending away his conscience is what he's doing. Yeah, but it kind of seems like he didn't really mean that he's just putting up a, you know, trying to be convincing that he doesn't need beer. Yeah, well, Delin almost says as much, you know, mm-hmm. that yeah. she yes. thinks uh, Lando needs beer. And it's <laughs> okay. <he's> another week. <laughs> so <laughs> I just looked at my notes and... I thought that it said Londo wants to send Veer to Mordor <laughs> instead of my bar. I was like, what did I write? So, yeah, Veer is taking Vir. the ring to Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> so, Delin's going to see what she can do about getting Veer sent there. So, uh, uh, is Sinclair still on Minbar? Maybe him and Veer yes. can work together. As far as we know, yeah. Um, as we know, I think uh, Delenn in this scene is thinking along the lines of, right, I'm not getting through to Lando, at least I can help Veer, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe uh, Lanier has, like, mentioned that, you know, Veer is one of the good guys. 
Yeah, I think so. I think he would. Hey, it's possible. Next, Franklin and Garibaldi are having dinner, and they quickly get to it. Garibaldi thinks Franklin is addicted to stems. And- oh, aside from everything else in the scene, I really like it because it's taking place in Garibaldi's quarters, and it feels cramped. It feels like they're in a small set of quarters, and they don't have much room. And you rarely get that. In other shows, I just think it's a really nice bit of set design. Mm-hmm. Franklin did do stems in Earhart when he went to the bathroom and he gets defensive, of course, and brings up Garibaldi's alcoholism. But Garibaldi wants to drop the subject and Franklin says that he'll cut back on the stems. Um, pretty much all I have to say about this is that Franklin must have given up on the whole diet thing because Garibaldi was fixing dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're friends with uh, someone like Garibaldi, I think he can weigh you down. Talon goes to meet with Sheridan. They reminisce about the good times when they were trapped on that ship. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. Talon had been sent to a hospital on Narn after that, and he meant to get back with Sheridan to thank him, but the war came. So now he's Nefar's bodyguard. But now he's on the B5, and now he must repay his debt. What do you make of Talon, though? Because he's got a small role here, but... I mean, we've got three significant Narns in this episode, and I think they're all significantly different. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah, they all have names. That's helpful. Um... (laughs) Oh, they're different characters. Yeah. So different. No, they are, yeah. Um, All of them. Yeah, I enjoy... I enjoy him, although I am having a hard time remembering his name. <laughs> it's all right, because they never actually say it outright, I think. Okay, maybe that's uh, why. Yeah. Um, I, think they, I think Shodan says it. And then, yeah. uh, right. It's almost like, it's spelled like Talon, but there's an apostrophe between okay. the A and L. <laughs> <to> yeah, <laughs> I can probably yeah. remember that now. There's actually right. a little... Uh, no. Sorry, go, go ahead with your story. There's a little story that he told at the uh, at the convention that the uh, sword that he carries is actually a Japanese katana, and uh, it's his own. Oh, cool! So, yes, yeah. and I have actually oh. seen that sword. Oh, I very went, nice! When I went to um, Space City Con last year in January, uh, he was there, and for the first time, he was showing it in public, and he told them he told us at the uh, at the uh, panel, that he had been asked by the, by uh, Bruce Boxleit, and I say, could could we go together again? And I asked uh, JMS, and he says, yeah, probably. I can try and find something. And uh, then he asked Marshall Teague, what would you want to be something particular for your character? And he came with the the sword. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, very nice. And uh, I mean, reason why I like this episode for Nods is. All of them seem different. All too often when you get um, different characters from the same species in sci-fi, they tend to be very generic and, you know, almost the same character type with just a couple of different opinions. Each one of these... See, this is something something we see much, a lot in in, in B5, that even small characters are... are a part 
they have they are in, unique. Yeah, like but, most yeah. of the time when we see a at least a group of Narn, they're you know they're very angry. They're very like um, they're more of a mob than really much of yeah. anything else. And so um, it's sort of like how we saw Jakar in the beginning. You know, it's like the stereotypical Narn is just very angry and um, and has a really bad temper and that kind of thing. So but then again, but then again. What about Chika? Is he angry? Hey, in this episode, uh, he's quite angry. <laughs> yes, uh, but, but not, in a very not different all the time, way. Yes, in a, yes. Yeah, he he had some good reasons. Um, you know, he's he's trying to uh, get the people to carry on for him, and uh, they're not doing it in the way that he'd like. So he sort of, uh, I guess, would feel like he he's been meaningless. You know, if if they can't continue on without him because he's going to give himself up so yeah all right oh yeah this is where they're both drinking orange juice <laughs> and uh, yeah i think they've mentioned that drink before i think they call it a jovian sunspot okay because you've got the red um liquid down the bottom and c and c they've translated the message from the probe it's Recorded message. Uh, it was sent to find life forms and initiate contact. So it's asking them a series of questions to determine if they're intelligent enough. And if they pass, they get lots of information. If they fail, it'll vaporize the entire station. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and Ivanova has such a nice comment to that one. Mm. Well, uh, oh, we'll wait, wait with that. We'll wait with that to the quote. I, I, I love how. Problem gets passed down the uh, chain of command. You know, Sheridan's having problems, so he comes up with a frustrating response to it, which gets passed to Ivanova, who vents herself in her own way, and then it gets dumped on Corwin. And it's kind of it, throughout this episode, it's he, he's looking around, realizing, right, I'm the bottom of the pile. I can't pass this on to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Ian, it's Clarence. Okay, I was using his second name. I know it's Clarence. <laughs> it's Clarence Corwin. Just how we call Ivanova a, a Susan sometimes, I can call Clarence Corwin sometimes. Give me a bit of slack. Okay. Yeah. I just have to think about it when you say it. Like, who's he talking about? Oh, yeah. That's right, Clarence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've scanned the probe, a thermonuclear countdown has already started so they're working on getting all the answers they have less than 23 hours it's not a lot no. for, that, for that amount of questions well and that difficult of questions uh, exactly Nafar is telling Jakar how things are back home trying to get him to come back home Jakar saying it's not his fault they're arranging their own food drops but it's not much Nafar thinks this is about Jakar's pride, and Nafar wants to leave the people on B5, and he'll tell them that if Jakar won't go back, the Centauri's are going to harass their families back home. It's interesting, this thing, because, I mean, other people won't read it differently, but I really see two people on the same side here with very different attitudes to solving a problem Yes. And it's just so important to both of them that the you know 
they'll end up shouting at each other, but it's because they both are so passionate about their people and they both think they're doing the right thing. <laughs> it's and who, really how that can happen. And who is to, to say what is the right thing? Right. You can see yeah. it, you know, from, like, looking at it the way that um, that you're reading it rather than the way that I did. Um, you can see it from both perspectives. I mean, for one, Jakar doesn't want to go home to die. But, oh, uh, no. <laughs> That's but a pretty good al- reason. <laughs> right. But he also is leading a resistance, you know, and he's got his inside... Uh, channels and he's got things going on you know and and so if he could possibly help uh help the narn at all then you know he doesn't want to be taken out yeah and both of them make very good points in this scene that it's it's something this scene is a great example of a tv show putting a problem to its audience and saying we're not going to give you the right answer here you decide. Okay, later on in the episode, they kind of steer us in one direction over another, but right at this very moment, it's up to the audience to decide which proceeds best. It's one of the things well, I love with JMS. I think that uh, most of us, though, having um, watched the show from the beginning, we would choose Jakar's side because we know him. Yeah, we know Jakar, and we identify with Jakar. But we know and can identify with Londo as well, which doesn't make us think he's right half the time. Right. All right. After this, in Med Bay, Franklin is examining a patient. He can't communicate with the patient and he gets irritable. He gets a call from Ivanova about the answers to the test questions. He thinks about taking some stems, but he doesn't. He's still working on the test questions. Angry Franklin is never fun. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> so Beer doesn't want to go to Minbar. Rondo tries to convince him that this is a good move for him. He wants to protect <laughs> Beer. Of yeah. course. And he doesn't want to be protected. Yeah, well, yeah. surprise. He tells Beer that it's already been done. He's been promoted. And Beer tells him that Londo will be alone. No. Nafar and Talon are going along, and they run into some angry Narn. Guy calls him a blood traitor, wants him to go back. And a fight starts, but Jakar arrives before it really gets going, and Jakar agrees to go home to end all of this. I like Jakar in this because you can see why he's a leader. Yes. How can this fuse a situation like this so easily? Well, easily. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, easily considering how it might have gone. Yes, I know. I re- if you remember the fight he actually go through last year, he oh, uh, yes. breathed kind of fighting like a cat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> didn't want to see that again, did you? No. <laughs> no, not really. Seen that, been there, done that. And CNC, they're working on the answers. The Transport Association calls, but Sheridan delays them pretty cleverly. <laughs> That's right. More clearance. If he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't make it. Then at least he doesn't have to deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think Sinclair's read the whole uh, David Allen getting things done philosophy here. 
you know, prioritize your problems. Yeah. After this, Garibaldi goes to see Jakar in his quarters. He's trying to talk Jakar out of going back home, but Jakar says his hand, his fate is in the hands of Jaquan and thanks Garibaldi for his concern. It's a nice scene. Really, I love that scene. It was, a really, it was a really nice scene, um, and I enjoyed it. But there was a couple moments there where there was, like, some undercurrent of sexual tension, and it was really funny to me. <laughs> it's not just because of the bathrobe, is it? Well, it's partly because of the bathrobe, yes. I don't know, just a couple of the lines, they just made me laugh because they, yeah, they had... Innuendo could be taken from them. There was some un, something unspoken in that scene. There was. <laughs> and after this, Franklin is talking to another doctor about the answers. They have most of them, and he snaps at her about getting the other ones. This doctor, she's on The Strain on FX now, and she was in the Buffy episode Tough Love as Principal Stevens. The interesting thing here is... Now the probe was actually... <laughs> they didn't need the answers. It makes his reaction here kind of a bit overboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't know that at the moment. Right. No, you couldn't. Is he going to go back and apologize to her later? Mm. Oh, sorry, oh, yeah. we didn't blow up. Never mind. Sorry I yelled at you. But they got all the answers. That's true. They did get all the answers, so he doesn't need to go back and apologize because he can nope. save face and go, oh, well, we had all the answers, so that's why we didn't blow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, the, the the interesting thing is actually some of the answers apparently are quite theoretical and not much research has been done on them, but because they now know they're actually all correct, that actually really... It's really good for a lot of scientific endeavours. All these theoretical problems we've been having, oh, they're all right. They're all correct. These are the answers we should be going with. You don't know. Yeah, it, get it that. actually <laughs> yeah. by them by them lying about not having the answers, they actually furthered their civilization more and this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they probably the, got a jump start by ten, twenty years maybe. Yeah, I think the civilization uh, that sent that probe out needs to develop the lie detector test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. Or have a bit more competent programming so that it gets a bit of distance away, gets the answers from a probe, and then realizes the probe is actually from that station. Let's go back there and blow that place up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um... Dr. Franklin's staff seems confirmed, and this time he did take some stems. He did. And next we see Nafar speaking to the Nard on B5. He's telling them that Jakar's way isn't right. He can help them work inside the system. And what's more important than your family's safety? And when Nard says, there is perhaps one thing. Yeah. It's not just one Nard. Who's the one saying it? It's Talon who says it. Yes, it is. Talon who's been Nafar's bodyguard all this time. Mm. Uh, that's that's where yeah. you say, oh, wait a second. <laughs> I mean, why is Talon speaking out against Nafar right now? I mean, is it uh, Jakar's presence, his force of personality when they were in that scene together earlier? Is it 
meeting up with Sherrod again and his personality and the conversation they had together, which reminds Talon of being aboard the Stripe ship. I think that when we look at it, Talon and Jakar are much closer, uh, let's say spiritually, than the, than the, than Nafar is to any of them. They are both warriors, but who know a bit more than just warrior. And CNC Sheridan is getting suspicious about this probe. They have two minutes left. <laughs> See some nervous-looking text in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, although who, who wouldn't be? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although this, as the scene ends, basically you've got Sheridan on one side, Vanover on the other, and again, um, Clarence is stuck in the middle, just <laughs> looking between both of them. <laughs> I think yeah, Sher- you go through this a lot, stuck between Sheridan and Vanover. Yeah. Oh, there are some yeah. uh, some really nice uh, Sharon and Ivanova uh, exchanges in in the in this uh, episode. Yeah, Sheridan thinks that this probe is out to find and destroy potential enemies, so he decides not to send the answers, and the probe leaves. So confirms his suspicion. So he sends a bot out to send the answers to the probe once it gets far enough away, and it explodes. And then they send out a recovery team. After this is over, Captain's just mad that he has to go to that transport association meeting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ivanova and Clarence have a funny moment. Yep. Oh, I mean, Clarence. again... Yeah. I, I, I have that quote. Yeah. Good, good, good. But it's, good. It's, it's basically, again, character development for Clarence because he's standing up to Ivanova whereas last year during the interview he was kind of more right I'll just repeat everything Ivanova told me he's giving her some sass and the way she looks at him after he says that it's like go Clarence (laughs) yeah but it was she kind of looked at she she gave him this cold stare, but then she kind of almost had the half smile of yeah Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was some respect there Yes. Uh, yeah, I think so. It's a lovely scene. After this, Jakar is leaving and he runs into Jadok, who doesn't want him to leave. Uh, Jadok, yeah. uh, he was on Charmed a bit. He played Balthazar. And he was also, we'll keep the Buffy thing on, he was also in the Buffy episode, The Replacement. He played Toth. Huh? Toth? Yeah. Hmm. So there are others there who don't want Jakar to leave also. He, they say he'll have to go through all of them. And they explain that their family's freedom is more important than their safety. Yeah, um, and then there's another nice quote from uh, Talon. But yeah, it states <laughs> really nicely this. You know, JMS wrote it one way, but then the director added something else to it, I think, because... He, he, they could have all been together and just stood there trying to block his way one boat, you know, but they're using the stairs and, you know, you've got one, then you've got two, then you've got many. Uh, I, I really like the whole blocking of this. It's well done. Yeah, yeah it was nice. He, yeah, he drew his sword out that can't be sheathed until it draws blood, but there's no fight. They convinced Jakar to stay, and afterwards Talon cuts his hand so that uh, he's drawing blood. I, I, I always cringe at that scene. 
Yeah, whenever people yeah. cut themselves on TV, I'm like, Ugh. But this one is extra painful because he cuts his hand and then he draws it all the way up the length yes. of the blade. Yes, it, 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 I really cringe every time I see it. Even though I've seen it several if, times. I always wonder if the wound would bleed like that. <laughs> like, uh, you know, because the blood just flows when they do that. And I always not. wonder if it would do that. Remember, these are nards. Their anatomy is slightly different to ours. Well, yeah, but they do that on all kinds of things. And the, it, yeah. Yeah. If, if this were a human anatomy, he would never be able to use that hand again. Yeah. It oh, cuts yeah. through, like, tendons the fingers, and stuff. The fingers. Yeah. But, uh, whereas, yeah. whereas Talon, I think he just needs to worry about getting a new set of gloves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I've cut my finger before with my knives, and it's taken weeks to heal, and it's not nearly as bad as what you see, like on TV yeah. and movies when they do that. And it's painful, like when you just get a paper cut. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but well, that... nerve endings on your fingers. Yeah, exactly. It's... So many nerve endings. Actually, a paper cut is much more more painful than a knife cut. Yeah. Because of the cellulose in in the paper. Next, Franklin and Garibaldi are in the Earhart talking about the probe thing, and Garibaldi apologizes, says he jumped the gun. And Although Frank- Franklin's lying here really isn't believable. Uh, yeah, he says he has it covered. It's kind of more, uh, uh, you know, he stumbles uh, over his words. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? He says he never touched the stems during the crisis, but we know, we know. We know, we know. And maybe Garibaldi does too, but giving him the benefit of the doubt because it was a really stressful situation. Sheridan and Ivanova are at their meeting and they look so thrilled to be there. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Londo goes to see Veer off to Minbar and we see that welcome to Babylon. Yeah, Veer with those puppy dog eyes. It's, I don't want to go. No, he doesn't. Aww. Poor Veer. And what's he gonna That's do the... on Minbar? <laughs> I know the real life reason. Well, I don't. Yeah, that was the end of the episode. But yeah, Stephen first was going to be in a Fox comedy. And they want to have him back on the show, but. I see. Yeah, so. Okay, I'm not gonna ask if he's really uh, gone. Yeah, I know. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm thinking like, what do what am I supposed? Yeah, he's. I'll just say he's not going for good. I hope that that show did really bad so he came back. That's horrible of me. But it happened before <laughs> now. I'm not wishing it yeah. on him now. So. so there was one question about why didn't they just go to Kosh and Delin to ask him for you know, the answers. And they're like, Delin isn't just like this fountain of information who just knows everything off the top of her head. She would have had to go back to her world and yeah. everything. As far as Kosh, we, we know what kind of answers Kosh yeah. gives to questions. We, we, we do, don't we? <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> yeah, let's see. That's all I have. Uh, then I have a little more of the uh, Sword of Talon story. Because when we were at near the end of the convention, I went to say bye to all the B5 actors who were there. We had 17. Uh, in uh, in uh, Galveston. Wow. Yes, that was a lot. So I probably met the one you talked about earlier, uh, Will. Uh, who was listening? Uh, Marshall T. 
Oh, uh, I thought I know him, but oh, I will. Oh, I will. I, no, oh, I know you're. I think the I know other you're one uh, who you to- were talking about. Anyway, uh, I came to Marshal Teague, and the sword was hanging behind him. And uh, I say, say the usual thank, thank you for coming and, and seeing all us uh, crazy fans and stuff. And I must have looked a little up uh, because suddenly he said to me, "Have you seen the sword?" Just so- sounding slightly conspiratory, and. Uh, <laughs> No, not really. So I was in- invited behind the uh, autograph table. He took it down from the wall and put it in my hands. I was standing there nice. holding the sword of Talon. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh. I study it because I'm I'm also a martial artist. I do Tai Chi Chuan. And I can appreciate when you have something like that in your hand. And suddenly he says, draw it. I was dumbfounded. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? Draw yeah. it? And I, I literally asked him, you mean it? Draw the sword, he says. So I stand there behind the table, drawing the sword, holding it, feeling the balance of it, which, as you can imagine, is exquisite. And he tells me afterwards, you are the first that I have invited to draw that sword. Oh. <laughs> My word, that... Awesome. <laughs> That that is, yeah. That, that, is, that must have been. So... That is a convention story to remember for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. Because it was two things. It was uh, me as a fan. It was it, it was uh, me as a martial artist, recognized by another martial artist without saying it, that I was. And he later told me that he, of course had an ex- an, a, a new experience as well because this was the first time he did it very cool yeah oh, it's really cool it, uh, uh, as long as he didn't have to cut your hand afterwards <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure yeah no longer has the use of one hand yeah um, <laughs> you sure. had to touch the sore though that was, that was I, worth I'm, it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that uh, that would be frowned upon at a convention <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes there's also a little story from JMS from the script books about the uh, probe, because where he where he found the idea was he was at a conference with uh, among others one of the top some of the top scientists and he asked uh, Freeman Dyson, which I guess you pro- you probably know the name, uh, what he would Dyson. do if he got if he if he met a pro- an alien probe, and it took him quite a long time of thinking to answer that question. So uh, yeah. if it if it takes some a scientist like Freeman Dyson so that long uh, to find a, a, a suitable answer, that must be a good question to ask. Yeah. So that's what he did. Okay. How oh, cool to tell us more stories. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this is the best one I have. Uh, the uh, Talon story. I can only say that. Uh, I loved hearing people's convention stories. I still love it. Uh, now I have my own to tell. Okay, do we have any quotes? Oh, yes. yes. Of course we've got quotes. <laughs> there were good ones in this episode. Really good ones. Um, I'll go first. This is Ivanova and Clarence. If I live through this job without completely losing my mind, it'll be a miracle of biblical proportions. Clarence. Well, there goes my faith in the Almighty. <laughs> I love that quote. Yeah. I, I, have an, I, have, I have the other one. Uh, the, the other really l- longer one. Talon. 
to leave now that I have decided to stay and join the others would be rude and extremely uncomfortable. And Jakar answering, that's a katok. Once drawn, it cannot be sheathed until it draws blood. You will raise arms against your own kind? Have you? T- have I taught you nothing? And Talon, I carry my sword in my hand. You carry yours in your heart and in your mind. As I see it, that gives you a two-to-one advantage in arms. Be fair, citizen Shikar. And of course, Shikar saying, I will stay. And I love to see, I love the, 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 the uh, sight of Jakar's face there when he says that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he did. I've got one from Lando, of course. Yes, of course. Everyone wants to go to Mirambar. It is the <laughs> vacation spot of the season. Assuming <laughs> you're part of the long robes and bone headset. <laughs> yes, it's lovely. Oh, there's another one. Via to Lando. If I leave, you will be alone. And Lando saying, Fah, I've always been alone. Are we taking all will? of yours, Will? Will? Yes. Oh, well, sorry. Um, Which one? That's fine. And I'm also getting distracted. The, um, the Clarence Ivanova one. Oh, yeah. That's, it's uh, Oh, it's a memorable one. It's a... It's Clarence. Yes. It's, it's one of those words where, you know... Think of Clarence. I tend to think of that quite. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the not quite. It, it's Ivanova's. It's Clarence's response to Ivanova saying, "Did anyone see that? Anyone?" Yeah. <laughs> and he, <laughs> it's just nope. Clarence just looking away. No. <laughs> oh, oh, there's a, there's the other Ivanova one. I don't want to be killed by a typo. It would be embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's definitely a a writerly um, thing to put in the script. That's that's very Ivanova, isn't it? (laughs) It's very Ivanova. It's it's also, you know, something that, you know, a writer would say. (laughs) Yes. All right. Let's do our characters of the week. Who is our human of the week? Clarence. You know who I'm voting for, yes. Yeah, I think Clarence. <laughs> Let's go for Clarence. He shines in this episode. I'm speaking for Elizabeth as well. We both vote for Clarence. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's go for Clarence. Uh, that was episode three. Clarence. Okay. Who is our alien of the week? Talon. I couldn't think of anybody. Well, I was going to say Talon. I think I was going to say Talon. Characters in this episode really shine through. Yes. Yeah, I would sort of like to give it to Veer because I'm afraid this was actually his last episode, but he has had one before, so I could go with Talon. Talon. Okay. Everybody fine with that? Absolutely. And let's do ratings. Want to start us out, Yen? Yes, uh, I really like the Talon character, and that's what the what what draws it a little bit up for me. I will give it eight out of ten drawn Katok swords. Okay, what about you, Heidi? Um, <clears throat> this one it's interesting because like I really like part of it, and I really don't like part of it. Um, <laughs> just 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 like the last one. I yeah, I know. Um. So, I think that I liked more than I disliked. Um, 
because I liked uh, the Narn stuff. I liked the Londo, although I actually hate it because I don't like Fear Leafing, but it was well done. Um, yes. And of course, I hate the Franklin stuff. And I like the probe. That was that was interesting. Um, so I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. Um, farewell, beer. Oh. Sniff, sniff. <laughs> what do you say, Ian? Well, yeah, I I love uh, bits of this, uh, but again, I'm also in the group that thinks there's problems with this episode. <laughs> I understand why it's there, but I don't like the um, stuff with the uh, Dockers Guild again. It just feels like we're going over old ground. And it, it just top and tails the episode, which could be good in some ways, but it just feels tired and used. On the other hand, it does give continuity. It does, but um, but the good stuff in this episode really does sound through Talon, Clarence yes. Corwin, uh, and there are some really great lines and moments. And I do like um, how... It's making us think in different ways about the non. I mean, we've got Nafar here that, although he's not a memorable character, he does force us to think of things in different ways. He so feels I, like he feels like a real character. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to give it seven and a half out of ten miracles of biblical proportions. Nice. I love that. Yeah, for me, this episode was just kind of there. I think I had more fun talking about it than I actually did watching it. The Clarence stuff and uh, maybe a little bit the J- Talon Jakar stuff was okay, but the rest of it I could have done without. So I'll give it seven and a half out of ten alien probes. hope nobody already said that. <laughs> I don't think anybody said that. I don't think so. No. So that was our total score is a seven and a half. Without Heidi, oh, I mean, sorry, without Elizabeth's um, ratings, we've got to um, get her ratings when we can. All right, so let's take an alien probe to feed back then. Hope it doesn't blow up on us. Oh, we <laughs> hope, we hope not. <laughs> well, we had a boom yesterday or last time. No boom today. No boom That's today. Good. Boom tomorrow. There's always a boom tomorrow. <laughs> First up, we have an email from Victor. I'll take that one. Victor says, In this episode, a probe arrives at B5 to deliver a pop quiz, which is extremely past fail. <laughs> also, the probe doesn't believe in grading on the curve. <laughs> if they fail the test, everybody dies. I wonder if this probe might have been the inspiration for some of my college professors. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. There are some, there are several other storylines going on too. Garibaldi confronts Franklin over his use of stimulants as one addict can recognize the signs in another. Sheridan and Ivanova are bogged down in administrative matters and Londo wants to send Beer to Minbar, which at least shows there is some hope for Londo. He recognizes Beer's innate goodness and doesn't want him tainted by his association with Londo. I read that a little differently, but okay. It's both, I think. But I found the most interesting story to be about the occupation of Narn. 
they have their own Quisling. One yes. Nafar, who is... You don't know where that name comes from? Not on either. That was the uh, Norwegian leader un- under the Second World War occupation in Norway. Oh. Uh, it's be- It's gone into the language. Yeah, okay. I recognize the, um, the word and what it means, but I didn't know the origin. That is buff up on our history, Will. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay, because uh, since I'm from Denmark and know a little bit about uh, the Scandinavian countries, that's why I know it better than most. Yeah, I suppose in the UK as well, we hear the term a bit more often. I guess Each- so. Have the- yeah. I also have this book on World War Two that I've been meaning to read, but I have a feeling that it's probably not mentioned in there. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> who is more uh, Nafar? Who is more than willing to serve as a lapdog for their Centauri overlords? If Narn is ever liberated, I have to wonder what will become of Nafar. For some reason, I don't think the Narns will treat collaborators too kindly. I don't think so. <laughs> For all that is going on, somehow the episode doesn't quite add up to the sum of all its parts, and I will give it seven and a half newly appointed envoys to Minbar. Yay, Veer. Regards, Victor. Cheers, Victor. Thank you, Victor. Cheers. And next is an email from Melanie W. So take that one. I can do that. Hi, down below. Here are my thoughts after watching A Day in the Strife a few times this week and finding out that I need more than 40 minutes of Babylon 5 every week. (laughs) Ivanova was right in the beginning of the episode. What if the guy had gone for it? Everyone would have seen that Sheridan gave him a useless gun and they would have had an attempted murder to deal with. I can't see how that would have helped anything. (laughs) When I rewatched the episode, I didn't really care about the probe. Obviously, it wasn't going to blow up B5. Sheridan picked the worst possible time to mention that something had been bothering him since they made contact. Well, almost. They did have more than 10 seconds left. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The parts I paid attention to were the storylines involving Veer and Jakar. Veer really didn't want his promotion. Babylon 5 is becoming more important, so he probably felt like he was getting promoted to Antarctica. (laughs) And with Veer away, who's going to stand up to Londo? Jakar has changed a lot since season one. I don't really know what to say about his storyline at this point. The other Narns obviously respect him, and the bodyguard of his replacement decided to stay with him. This was, of course, followed by the Narnian custom of cutting his glove. Rating, 7.7. Bonus for Veer and Jakar, 0.5. Final rating, 8.2. Unwanted promotions. Human of the Week, Garibaldi. Alien, tie between Veer and Jakar. I want to give it to Veer for being Veer, but Jakar was really great. Quotes. Oh, good. This one uh, I wanted to do, but I didn't write it all down. Uh, Ivanova. Always find the good in any situation, eh, Captain? Oh, yes. (laughs) Sheridan. Absolutely. If I didn't, I might end up like you. And then he walks (laughs) away. Ivanova. Hey, what's that supposed to mean? I love that one. And then to the people around her. Uh, did anybody else hear that? And then to Clarence, did you hear that? Clarence, no, Commander. Ivanova, good. I swear, if we live through this, somebody's going to find their automatic shower preferences reprogrammed for ice water. And then you get Clarence's response to that, which is all visual, but it's it kind of this smirk, smirk kind of trying to look away as if he didn't hear what yeah. she said. Yeah, really good. <laughs> 
And then I think we did the other two. Um, so questions for the ambassadors. What do you think the problem with the last envoy to Minbar was? Um, Probably got too drunk or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, you know, the Centauri, they just like to party. Um, see, that's why Veer actually will be a good envoy to Minbar, because he's very un-Centauri-like. Yeah. Um, quite un-Centauri-like in, in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. He definitely thinks things through. He has more of a conscience. Um, he's Londo's shoulder angel while Morton yeah. is his shoulder devil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that was probably it. I mean, you know, most Centauri wouldn't get along too well with the Minbari. So, and what are your overall predictions for Londo, Jakar, and Veer? We'll get to that, uh, in predictions. Uh, best regards, Melanie, the... Krakovian Veer fan? Yes, thanks. I think that's... Melody. Yeah, thanks, Melody. I think Krakow is in Poland. I probably didn't say that right. Okay. I don't know. Ooh. Okay, our next, we have a comment from Board99. And Board99, I know you've been commenting in other podcast forums and places because I heard your comment on the latest um, intro to Babylon 5 podcast i know they're doing the same thing but i am watching out <laughs> anyway he starts by saying in allowed the topic of aliens called centauri on doctor to come up he didn't let the others know about alpha centauri well yeah i had forgotten about alpha centauri because that's the name of one specific um alien on babylon 5 but it's also name of a system, isn't it? Alpha Centauri. It's our closest star. It, 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 mm-hmm. it is, but but as far as I have heard, the Centauri are not from Alpha Centauri. No, I don't think so. It's just a oh. coincidence. Yeah. Uh, he also says, also, I'm pretty sure that Bashir is meant to be an Englishman with an Arab ancestry. I think so. Uh, that's a different franchise, isn't it? Um, I think so. <laughs> but the actor's pretty good, and he's gone on to play some other really good roles, so he's worth a mention occasionally. What are we supposed to be talking about again? <laughs> a day in the strife. The side plot with Dakar is good stuff, but a lot of interest turns to the moral question it raises. About the consequences of Dakar's decision for the future, therefore... Yep. A hard talk without spoilers. As far as the main plot goes, well, it's B5 the Star Trek for the first time in Season 3. Best to get it out of the way early, I suppose. I always felt that this unknown alien object plot seems more organic with a spaceship than it's exploring than it does with a stationary diplomatic station. Which one would assume, is located in a well-travelled, well-explored part of space, surrounded by various civilizations. Why hasn't this probe encountered someone else before now? And blown itself up. Lucky, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it had to encounter something at some time, so why not Babylon 5 be the first? I guess it encountered other ships or whatever, and they just didn't know all the answers, so it kept going. Yeah... Because different people are dealing with it different ways, I suppose. 
and there may be more than one probe. Who knows? But, but that one's gone. Yeah, that one's gone. So Paul goes on by saying, but it's certainly more interesting than the previous week's Mad Bomber, about which I liked Elizabeth's suggestion that the thing to have done would have been to have it fit the bombings in the show's overall story about the growth of authoritarianism by having them be used as a pretext for increased surveillance of the population. In general, it would have been a good place to use the whole Nightwatch thing that the show's established at the end of the last season. Elizabeth's idea would have given Sheridan an interesting decision to make. This, in fact, is what A Day in the Strife does, and convictions just doesn't. So thanks, Ford, for all your thoughts. Thanks, Ford. Next, we have an email from Laurie and Carl. I'll take this one. Hello, ambassadors, commanders, and visitors to the station. I think Heidi and Elizabeth were correct when they called it last week. (coughs) (coughs) Oh, excuse me. (laughs) That it would be a day-in-the-life type story, but rather than focusing on a single person, the focus was on the comings and goings of B5 and the strife surrounding that. Or at least that is how Carl saw it. Strife with the dock workers who control the coming and goings and transport. Jakar was almost forced to leave and Veer was forced to leave. The probe comes and then leaves and then the new Narn ambassador and bodyguard come. The ambassadors have been wondering about when a new Narnian ambassador would arrive. Were they surprised about how it turned out? I don't think we were. Carl very much enjoyed seeing Talon again. Great call back from the earlier episode where he was kidnapped with Sheridan. Carl really liked his sword and hopes he stays and that we see more of him. What do the ambassadors think? I like him. The scene with Londo, Veer, and Nefar was very painful to watch. Londo was just so very dark and Veer could hardly stand it as well. Londo says that he is sending away Veer so as to keep him safe, but it seems like it seems just as likely that it is so he does not have to hear his conscience anymore as Veer is the voice of his conscience now. Regarding the probe storyline, Carl thought it was off from the start and was not really surprised at how it turned out, though the design for the ship was pretty he thought the, the design for the ship was pretty cool. The stem subplot with Franklin got a lot of size. It does seem very cliche now, though maybe it was not so much at the time. Hard to remember now. They did make Franklin look really bad with the makeup though. He looked like he needed a week of sleep. Final questions for the ambassadors. Were you surprised that Jakar did not leave and that Veer did? Um, not, not really. I was, when everybody was going to be leaving in the middle of the episode, I was like, okay, we're going to have nobody left. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very sad that Veer actually did end up leaving, but I wasn't surprised that Jakar stayed. Carl was fairly surprised at Veer leaving. Do you think we will see him now in Minbar? What will the repercussions to the Narns on the station since Shakar did not leave? What will be the repercussions? Quote, Lando, sometimes I miss that we don't talk anymore. Delin, we never talk. <laughs> I, I, I had that one on my list, but uh, yeah, we, we couldn't just continue, could we? <laughs> uh, well, it's... <laughs> It's one of those words that can slip by but means so much. Yes, it does. There's so much between the lines there. 
Yeah, I'm glad that the that the emailers are getting in some of those quotes that we didn't get to because there were really good ones this episode. Yep. Carl rating negative two drub subplots. <laughs> oh, is this his first negative one? I, I don't know. Human, the science person Franklin yelled at. Alien, beer, and the dude with the cool sword. Lori rating 6.5. Human, Clarence, he was back and with a few lines. Yay. Alien, beer. Oh, thanks, Lori and Carl. <laughs> thanks, guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks. And next we have an email from a new feedbacker. And new feedbacker. All right. From Josh. Cool. All right. So I'll take this one. Greetings, denizens from of down below. My name is Josh, and I fairly recently started listening to your show and have been all the better for it. I have been a fan of Babylon 5 since the good old days, and I'm constantly working to push the show on other people, which I think this podcast will help with. I've really enjoyed all the commentary and perspectives of fresh eyes to the series. I always find myself chuckling out loud because I don't have nearly enough B5 humor in my life. So thanks for that. Oh, thanks, Brian. Uh, Josh, sorry. <laughs> I was reading the next line. <laughs> My friend Brian introduced me to your podcast when he was a guest during your season two commentary. I've listened to all of your shows from season two and into season three so far, but have not had enough time to go back to the first season, which is of particular interest to me. You see, I run a Babylon 5 fan blog on Tumblr called... Uh, F yes and Claire. Thanks, Will. I'm like, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're searching for that, spell it out. Um, <laughs> in which I focus on all manner of Jeffrey Sinclair and season one related stuff. In fact, if any of you or your listeners are on Tumblr, I would highly recommend checking out the Babylon Five community there. Heidi and I Elizabeth. Was, yeah. 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 Sorry. Um. You probably should mention that proviso before going to do what. Yeah, he, he does. Heidi and Elizabeth or any other B5 noob should avoid it, however, because sections of it can be chock-a-block with spoilers. Oh, wow, the first page has like a really big... <laughs> I, I have actually seen posts from you before on Tumblr. Yeah, it's, it's a nice little uh, Tumblr account and yeah, some of the stuff on Tumblr is awesome, but spoiler filled. <laughs> yeah, mostly. Um, but enough about me. How about I provide some quick feedback on A Day in the Strife? Of all the subplots throughout the series, this episode with the reser- reverse psychology blasto probe always seemed the most Star Trekish to me for some reason. I'm not sure why that is, perhaps the twist ending or the search for knowledge aspects, but whatever it is, that plot seemed rather generic in my opinion. Everything else from this episode I really liked, however. First of all, Stephen, Stephen Mott? Is that how you say his name? I think so. Okay. As Nafar, whom I fondly remember as the dad from Monster Squad, is really great, and I feel like he rises to the occasion, meeting Andreas Katsoulis' acting abilities. They played off one another nicely. I really Mm -hmm. like the interplay between Nafar and Jakar in that they each are looking at the same issues, but from a very different perspective. Nafar has been on the Narn homeworld, been in the trenches, seen the destruction, and is trying to work through it as best he can. Jakar has been sheltered from the direct damage of the invasion, but has continued to provide whatever political, military, and logistical aid he can while sustaining morale in an effort to keep up the fight against their oppressors. 
In essence, Nafar sees it as losing the battle but not the war, while Jakar refuses to even see the battle as lost. In the end, the issues remain an ambiguous quandary. Although Jakar doesn't give in to the Centauri demands by returning to the homeworld, there is no real solution or resolution to how best to help the Narn people. Should they give in to the Centauri for a sustained period while regaining strength and lull them into a false sense of security? Or keep up attacks of opportunity, harassing their oppressors until the endeavor of enslaving Narn becomes too much of a hassle? We'll have to wait for a future episode, I suppose, since no answers are found here. Some other quick notes. I live a Marshall Teague appreciation life. I'm sure you mentioned that he played Nelson Drake in season one, the ill-fated henchman turned ancient superweapon in infection. And I really like him as Talon, Sheridan's old alien abduction bro. <laughs> He's just all over the place throughout 90s television. I really like St. Garibaldi proselyte, proselytizing and sharing wisdom throughout the station <laughs> this episode. <laughs> He's sharing secrets and raising the hopes of Ivanova in the bar, having an impromptu AA meeting with Steven, and later trying to talk some sense into Jakar about going back to Narn. Benedictus Garibaldi Verba Day. <laughs> <laughs> Veer is going to the Mimbari homeworld, eh? I wonder if he'll run into Talia and Ivanova's little foster telepath from season one, Alicia Belden, who chose to live on Mimbar. Or perhaps have a few snorts of bravari with the Earth Ambassador to Minbar, a certain Jeffrey Sinclair. Only time will tell, and I can't wait to hear all of your reactions and comments with each passing episode. Favorite human, the Immaculate Heart of Garibaldi, of course. Favorite alien, Nafar. Quotes, Londo Tavir, women may even come to find you attractive in time. <laughs> in time, yeah. Um... <clears throat> We did the Ivanova one. Overall rating, 7 out of 10 painful-looking crowbar things transport pilots carry during docking negotiations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That guy Thank came told up for a fight. Yeah, thanks, Josh. <laughs> thanks, Josh. Uh, and you've got to make a Tumblr um, post now about St. Garibaldi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, everyone, if you want to send us feedback, send that to mail at downbelowpodcast.com or leave comments on Facebook or uh, website, downbelowpodcast.com. Love the feedback. Oh, that was like what, nine pages today, this week. Yeah. It was good. Awesome. All right, let's do predictions. Next week, we're episode four. The name of the episode is Passing Through Gethsemane. Ooh. Um, <laughs> well, I will predict that, um, some very bad things happen. <laughs> um, I, I feel like some, some of our characters will, um, be very tried and, um, Wow, who do I think this is going to be about? Um, let's see. We didn't get a lot of Delenn this week, so it's possible that it could go back in that direction since we had quite a bit of um, of Jakar and Londo kind of for the past two weeks. I mean, they weren't like the main focus, but um, Jakar's storyline sort of was this week. Uh, 
I don't know. I feel like it. I feel like with that title that it should be about them though, and about the about this conflict. So I guess I'll go with that. Um, and then overall predictions. I think that uh, the families of the Narnians that are in this resistance are probably going to suffer because the Centauri don't just make idle threats. I mean, they're killing 500 Narn for every one Centauri, so... In, including the perpetrator's own family. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't think that their threat about, you know, harassing the families of those involved are, are idle threats, so... Um, I think that will probably happen. Uh, I don't know if this is the correct decision, um, like harboring Jakar and keeping up this resistance, but it seems like the decision in which they can keep their pride, which is what Lando wants to take from them. So it's interesting, um... I don't know if it's going to help them in the long run. I don't know if they're going to get the upper hand, if there's even a way they can get the upper hand. But I feel like it's just something that they have to do. Um, I think that Veer will meet up with Sinclair and become part of the inner circle, whether we see him again or not. Um, and maybe he'll get to have a conversation with Zathras because... That would be an amazing conversation. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> um, although we'll probably never see it. But still, I hope that Veer comes back. I really, really do. Because um, I really love his character. And I'm sad that Londo has lost his shoulder angel. Because now all we'll get is Morton whispering in his ear. Um, I don't know that I have any other overall predictions. I think I'm done. Okay. Oh, we're yeah, going to see it's, more it's, horribleness it's, with Franklin and the Stims. Uh, <laughs> it's a shame, really. I really hope uh, Elizabeth gets better because you're always great at predictions when you're bouncing ideas off each other. Yeah, it's way easier. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us again. Always great to have you on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Jan. Your mind oh, us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Can you remind us where we can find you uh, elsewhere on the net? Yes, you can find me in the Facebook group, and uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Babylon Lurker, and that's about it. I have a blog somewhere, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not very active. All right, so that is all we have for this week, folks. We'll be back next time with Passing Through Gethsemane, and until then... Goodbye. Bye. See you. Bye. We can't forget Elizabeth. Stroke off. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast.